Three beings of Thra come together to discuss important matters. Stories of Gelflings defying Skeksis' rule run across all of Thra. The winds of revolution hang in the air. Will these three beings join the fight, or will they just sit down and talk about it? This is Power Outage. Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of Power Outage. On this episode we are going to be talking about the first five episodes of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance which is a 10 episode series on Netflix. It is a prequel to the Dark Crystal movie from Jim Henson and Frank Oz. This episode is taking place in the dream space so after our experience in the last two episodes in the dream in the spirit world, we use our powers to get out of the spirit world, but our energies mixed together, and we ended up in another dream world, which is now on the planet Thra, where the Dark Crystal takes place. We are all here sitting together trying to figure out how to power up this Dark Crystal. So while we're waiting for our Dark Crystal to power up, we are going to talk about these first five episodes. With me today is the lore master, Kent. As we live in Thra, Thra lives in you. And also with you. Joining me also is the all-mandom of Vapra clan, Levi. Petar Fui Damn, a different property. Yeah, the, the dream space is fair use. Yeah, I chopped that. <laughs> Yeah, it's all Creative Commons license in the dream space. We believe yeah, in the DMCA exactly. free. It's true, it's true. Anything in the dream space is free real estate. And I am your host, the Crystal Guard. Pronounce Ryan, not Rian. This is with a Y, not with an I. So, as we are getting into this discussion... I just want to give a heads up to anyone listening. If you have not watched The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance on Netflix, and you don't want to get spoiled, you can stop the podcast right here because we will get into spoilers about the first five episodes. If you are interested, go give that a watch, then come right back to this episode and listen along. If you don't care about spoilers, you just you just want to know everything before even watching it, thank you for sticking around. You're the real one. General thoughts about the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, Lore Master. Uh, I I watched the movie before watching the show just because uh, when we picked Dark Crystal, I was like, oh, might as well watch the movie. And I like how the show expands on everything that the movie introduces because when you watch the movie, they don't explain anything. Uh, they don't expect you to know anything. But they also expect you to know everything. <laughs> so it was uh it's nice to see all the different things that you had questions about in the movie get kind of addressed in the show. I also like how the show is a nice fantasy show. Uh, you don't get a lot of them. 
sort of like this type where everything's kind of interconnected branching storylines connected storylines similar to like game of thrones but that was like years since it ended and there's not a lot of fantasy representation on tv or at least popular ones so it's nice that this show is doing that uh, I also like all the animatronics that they do, the puppetry, all the mixed special effects. Even though their their faces look kind of stiff, a lot of emotion in the show that they can convey through those special effects. Your Highness, Almandum, your thoughts? Okay, let me get this straight. Fantasy? Not my favorite genre. My least favorite genre. Lord of the Rings? Eh. Nope. 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 Game of Thrones? Nope. 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 Sorry. Nope. But yeah, I didn't think that I'd come into this. I came into it slow, not thinking I'd like it, not trying to get bogged down by the details, which is usually what turns me off from all these mystical and fantastical settings. But I ended up liking it and binging it, which comes to a fair surprise, which I even... I haven't watched the movie, which now all of a sudden I want to. And as far as I know, it's it's the right order, at least in chrono- chronologically. But yeah, all of a sudden, I really like the story, very great production value and the production itself i'm probably gonna give the movie the comics and even the behind the scenes a try all you lord of the rings fans and game of thrones fans i see you <laughs> don't worry i'm representing y'all you're not hurt yeah i'm not hurt so, at all these people fucking know the marvel encyclopedia <laughs> and yet will we'll, <laughs> uh harp on not remembering fantastical names fuck out of here <laughs> Please, for the dream space, we keep the vibes mellow and the chakras aligned. <laughs> wow. Celadon oh, yeah. got doc- uh, Doctor Strange in the fifth episode. That's a reference they get. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to come in. Yeah, I, get it. I, I understand that reference. Nice. That's the first thing I thought, too. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he got pushed out. Anyway, yes, uh, my general thoughts. I also watched the movie in preparation for the series just because I was interested to see what what this series would be built from. And, you know, I remember seeing the Dark Crystal on TV a lot and just being creeped out by the look of the puppetry. Um, yes, it does look dated, but also it's pretty traumatizing for a child to look at. So that's kind of what drew me away from it. But, you know, watching it now, I appreciate the puppetry a lot more, seeing what they could get away with. Yeah, some of the effects do look dated, but I think the story was, like, the story was the main focus of that movie. So I appreciated that. And seeing the world building that this series does from that movie was really good to see. I wasn't expecting how deep we would get into the world and the lore that they would introduce. So I found that to be pleasantly surprising. So in this series, we are following three protagonists. Um, they are Rianne, Brea, and Deet. They're voiced by Taryn Edgerton, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Natalie Emmanuel, respectively. So I just want to gauge your thoughts on our three characters. What do you think? Who do you think is your favorite? Do you like the character journeys? Do you like what's being set up? For them, your thoughts? All these kids kind of just got thrown into it. You're just like, Rian, okay, your love dies. You gotta run away. Bria, you have this whole royal family to save. And then Deet, you're kind of like, oh yeah, the world's, the nature's dying. You gotta save it. I'm a tree, let me talk. 
you and you gotta save it. And it's like, oh, okay. I agree with that. More so with Deet. I feel like Deet's storyline kind of came out of nowhere with how she was introduced. With Rian, he's a castle guard. He's guarding the Dark Crystal, where the, the castle where the Dark Crystal is being held. So his storyline fits in well with where the plot is going. Brea, yes, she's part of a royal bloodline with her mother being Almadra, which is like the queen, basically, of the clan. So their storylines make sense with this this resistance that's coming to be built up. Deed, on the other hand, for me, I feel like she's kind of sidelined in compared to these two, Rhiannon and Bria, just because her storyline is analyzing what's going on with the nature, why is the nature starting to act up. I'm not saying it's weak, but I'm just saying out of the three characters, Rian and Brea's blend in more with the overarching theme as well as for Deeds feels like it's disjointed from the other two. I'm saying Rian is the weakest storyline. Man's weak. He has no wings. <laughs> it's not just genetics. Yeah. So <laughs> just just like our world in Thra, genetics also play a part in how you succeed in life. <laughs> Girls really do get it done. Mm. In terms of all the three characters, I think for Rian, I think he has like the strongest personal motivation throughout the whole storyline. However, I feel like his when he gets to interact with other characters, it's not as compelling nor as strong as the other three. I don't, the other two. Uh, for Deet, it's like the opposite. She doesn't have like the strongest personal motivation as, oppo- uh, as opposed to just like, gotta save nature, broski. Uh, <laughs> but I think with the introduction of Hop, that inter-character relationship, I think it's one of the strongest out of everything. And I don't think Rian's storyline has anything as strong as that. But I also like Deet's relationship with Hop because there's no other character that actually likes podlings. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like everyone doesn't like podlings except Deet because she is like because I think of her like her realm her area her clan it's like kind of excluded from everything else so they don't really have this weird xenophobic thing to other races so I do like that storyline between Deet and Pop Bree Bria I mean I think she her storyline blows the other two out of the water speaking to all, all of what you said not only is her inter-character relationships connected to the overall storyline but also her own personal motivation like goes against to what this royal family their duties are and what the responsibilities are as a royal family to like their liaison between like the Skeksis and the Gelflings. Gelflings? Yeah, Gelflings. <laughs> so those are my thoughts on the on the three Bria best best girl. Is it because is it because she's voiced by Anya Taylor Joy? Yes. That that I think that already got ten <laughs> more points than the others. So yeah. <laughs> but eggs. But be. but but Deet is also voiced by Natalie Emanuel, which, you know, close, very close second, if they fix up her per- her personal character arc, might beat Bria. Is it because she's in the Fast and Furious movies? That's why? Absolutely That's why? not. I actually did not watch any of the movies she was in. <laughs> I watched only the Game of Thrones, and she was great there. So, yeah. She's also great in Fast and Furious. Just saying. Cannot. <laughs> Can't be bothered. It's just... <laughs> Uh, Almandum, your your thoughts on our three characters? I do like our cast. I do like all three of them, Rianne, Bria, and Deet. However, I feel like although they have big motivations or you can see that their goals are clear, the way they get to it's pretty... It's not distributed evenly. I'm not saying it should be, but... You, I actually do think Deet's storyline is actually pretty weak. 
like Hop is very much redeeming and showing the, I guess, the more chill, outgoing side of the story, where it's not all just dark. Bria, I really like her character, actually. It's funny because you can see clearly where she's, um, she lies as a character. She's very flawed still. She's virtuous and she she cares, she's charitable, but she doesn't want to do charity. Like, she doesn't <laughs> want to do community service. But, and then Rian, we have him who loses his, his love in the first episode very quick. But then his arc is kind of just, okay, let me just clear my name. Which doesn't seem like he has much of his personal character to develop. So Bria all the way. Yeah, Bria, best girl. Yeah, I I will say with Bria, so yeah, I can see the arc that she has where she's not completely a perfect person at the beginning. She's like, that has been addressed already. Like she is a little flawed because of how she was raised in this royal family. And, you know, she's starting to understand the different clans more. We see that later on, but yeah, we, we get to see her ideals where she thinks that any clan besides her own are greedy or lesser than just because of how she was raised but she learns throughout her interactions with the different clan members like how everyone is equal so i like that part for her for d i feel like over the first five episodes she doesn't really get anywhere with her mission she it doesn't really pick up until maybe episode four or five where she really establishes her place in this resistance because for the most part it's like a fish out of water storyline with Deep as she interacts with different clan members and sees how the world of Thra works which you know it it's helpful for people who aren't that familiar with um the lore I guess but I feel like it just drags on a little bit for me in terms of you know we're stopping over at this town we're stopping over to talk about this creature I just feel like hers is in pace well in comparison to Rianne and Brea's. Mm, I disagree. Well, not... Oh, I, yeah, but I heard... I guess. But I think I feel more that way for, like, Rianne's. Mm-hmm. Like, every time he goes on, it feels a little too dragged. Like, it feels like they're putting a little bit more focus on Rianne than they should. I think every time he meets some characters they're always like kind of pushed in i think i'm mostly speaking of like when he went to like the podling village and like those mm-hmm. like, two random hooded characters came in and like whoa assassin's creed <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah uh i think for his i think his pacing is even more out of place it, it, i think it was stronger in the beginning because it really put everything in motion but then after that now that he's like walking around more doesn't feel as you know doesn't feel as focused as like the other two because at the very least with Deet I know that she just needs to go to Harar uh, regardless of where she stops or not because she's also because her clan is like excluded out of everything else the other people think she's dead (laughs) her her clan's like gone (laughs) so secluded they are I guess because it's a show they also kind of want you to like ease into the lore the geography of the place and I think Deet as a story is good for that and also, she's the only storyline that actually cares about podling, podlings. Again, mm. shout out to the podlings, bro. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of annoying, though. I will say that. I respect them. But they kind of annoying. When I saw that lesser service scene, I'm just like, oh, no. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it's like, they don't know, not the, they being like the writers or whoever. They don't know how much English these podlings should be speaking. It's, it's very mixed bag where... 
yes, sometimes they'll just speak in full podling, but then they'll throw in some English words from time to time. It's very uneven to me. Like, I feel like either commit to one or the other, either make them know English or just make them speak full podling and just have that kind of interaction that way. Ryan's racist, the podlings confirmed. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I don't know. Like, them just having, like, mixed language, understanding of languages, some of them don't know the language, like, that's just realistic. <laughs> okay, fine. Like, okay. Now, now I sound like the bad guy. Yes, I get Yes, I get that. I get that. Okay. Choose one language. I get that. I get that. <laughs> nah, nah, okay, yes. I, damn, I'm, I'm very skexies in my thinking. I do, I do want to bring up, though, with Rian's story, how Kent, you mentioned that his kind of does feel dragged. I, I, I guess I do kind of see that where at the end of the first episode, his mission is I have to tell all the Gelflings that the Skeksis are bad. And it kind of just slows down from there where he has to first get proof. And the, they do establish rules that, oh, just because you dream fast with one person doesn't mean they can pass that message along. I like that aspect because I felt like that could have been easily exploited where you, he just passes on his dreams to Gelfling to Gelfling and that's how the message gets across but having it explained where he personally has to share this message with people because he's the one that saw it uh, and experienced it I like that aspect and the fact that the Skeksis made up an excuse for Gelflings not to do that with him because they said they tried to frame him for the murder of Mira his girlfriend and say that Oh, if you dream fast with him, you'll also become infected by whatever caused him to kill Mira. So I like that aspect. But yeah, I do feel that he spends more time on the run and trying to prove himself to people. And then all of a sudden, when he meets those two hooded figures, they just accept to dream fast with them. I felt like, why even go through the whole trouble of creating an excuse why he can't dream fast to end up just him dream fasting? Yeah, I there's a little bit of a... I felt like a little bit of a logic error there. I think these first five episodes, though, overall, it could have been paced better. I feel like I'm more aware of it now because I know that the show is canceled after one season. So I feel like they could have spent a lot of these first five episodes getting right to the the meat and potatoes of the story and getting right into these characters' journeys a little bit more instead of meandering a little bit. If you read the, the synopsis on Wikipedia, it's not actually true until the fifth episode. Yes. Um, yeah, this, the, the synopsis <laughs> says, um, and I'll quote, uh, it follows the story of three Gelflings, you already introduced them, as they journey together on a quest to unite the Gelfling clans to rise against the tyrannical Skeksis and save their planet Thrall. Pretty much, they have not journeyed together until the end of the fifth episode, maybe. I don't know. No one has united yet at all. No one has risen against the Skeksis as a whole yet. So there's, yeah, it the, the synopsis really does not capture what these first five episodes get into. And I think that's, that's kind of what I was expecting, that, you know, with the title of Age of Resistance, I didn't expect that the Age of Resistance would take so long to get to. Uh, if I were to compare it, it would be like the Netflix show The Defenders, where that was a combination of daredevil jessica jones iron fist and luke cage coming together it took them three episodes to actually unite so uh, i feel like i don't know if it's netflix or whoever but if you're promising a unity of different characters you know you should get right to it 
I, I appreciate what they're, you know, establishing the characters, the individual characters' storylines, but to take five episodes to get them together, you know, I felt like a little undersold on the premise. I think they were prepping a season two. It feels like that a lot. And, you know, again, like, if, if I were to, if I had watched this when it had come out, you know, maybe I would be, I'd probably be more forgiving for the pacing. But yeah, just because we know that this series is canceled and again we haven't seen the we have only seen the first five so who knows how the pacing will go for the second half but yeah it it feels like there this first season was a lot of establishing where people will be and their roles that they're going to play in what i'm assuming is an inevitable war between the gulflings and the skeksis so as we discussed that the movie The Dark Crystal from 1982 uses a lot of animatronics and puppetry. This series as well sticks to that and and honors that memory from Jim Henson by also using puppetry and set design and real sets. You know it limits the use of modern technology when creating the series. How do we feel about the, the puppetry the the look of some of the characters the set designs and the limited use of cg effects i guess you, you're so, sort of looking for the details with the real life the practical props and the the set design and the puppets i feel like you can't help that although it's uncanny and you're kind of like oh this is kind of creepy you know not them blinking pretty often even though they do their faces don't really emote too much though the voices at least help with that you're kind of forced to be like oh okay let's pay attention to the the rest of it yeah, I would say, for me, it's more... I'm, I'm assuming you mean, like, the Gelfling specifically, with yes. the lack of emotion shown on the on the puppetry there. Yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of gauge what they're feeling. I think that's where the voice acting really comes through, and I, I guess that's why they hired such big uh, actors for this series, because, you know, without, you know, without talented people like them, I feel like the Gelflings more so would feel a little flat. It would be hard to kind of connect to the emotions that they're trying to portray physically through their emotions on their face. For me though, the Skeksis are like, in terms of puppetry and movement, I think I appreciate them more. It feels like it's someone wearing a costume at times, but not in a bad way. It feels like it, it the way they move feels so fluid and just how... Mm their mouths move yeah like like, yeah it feels like the the mannerisms it feels real it compared to even if like it's they suffer some of the same problems of the gelflings it's caught up not only just again with the very very solid voice work but then also you see like the small twitching or the small Mm -hmm. behaviors in the the puppet that's just like oh this is this is where it's it works to its effect it works to the benefit of it being kind of like not emotive too much or creepy yeah exactly and I think that's kind of why, as a kid, when I was wa- when I would see the original movie, like that's what threw me off because of how, like, it really captures the ugliness of the Skeksis, like how mm-hmm. they move, how they talk. It really gets that well. Like, yeah, it, it feels a little real. I don't stop and think, oh yeah, that's a puppet. I think that more with the Gelflings, with how stilted they kind of move, and you know, sometimes the show will show them running and it feels awkward because you know of how of what these characters of what their models are actually 
the whole body shots are kind of mm-hmm. weird. But it's weird with the Skeksis. You kind of you kind of feel the fear. You kind of feel uncomfortable. You you get the feeling they're mm-hmm. trying to elicit, and that's where you kind of feel like okay, when it comes to like diving into the world with the characters, the setting, everything, the production's always there. But with the Skeksis, especially, it's just like oh, you kind of feel part of the scene where you're kind of there. Exactly. It's an isekai. Uh, i think both the movie and the show before you get into it it's a higher bar of suspension of disbelief that they're puppets or costumes but i think the constraint of like puppetry and costume like elevates everything else in the production Uh, set design costume design cg effects background effects voice acting because they know that they're doing puppets uh, and animatronics most of the time and I like how the show doesn't like stay to like the '80s movie making standards and techniques. They use mm-hmm. modern things. They use modern camera work in the show, and they blend in mixed special effects with like CG. That's not to say their CG is bad. CG is pretty good. Yo, when that hunter was like yeah. going through yeah. the forest, <laughs> like whoa, Skeksis can move. <laughs> Skeksis can move like that. Who knew? Or it's just the hunter. Who knows? <laughs> Everyone else is like fat, so <laughs> yeah. I guess like I don't think I had a hard time believing everything. Maybe because I watch a lot of puppetry, as like sh- as TV shows, and also in like things in the Middle East, there's sometimes puppet shows that you can do, you can watch. So yeah, I think they really utilize that medium to its fullest, and also really integrating it into like a TV medium. I think they excelled in it. Yeah, I think with the movie. It's a lot of dark scenes because they're trying to make sure you don't see the puppetry and how they don't want you to see how things actually move. And they want you to focus on what's actually happening in the scene instead of how the scene is being filmed. And yeah, with with this series, because especially because of when it takes place, everything is light. You have to you get to see everything. And, you know, watching it, I don't really, I don't stop and think, how are they filming this? I, you know, I don't have that kind of thought in comparison to the, to the first, into, to the movie. Yeah, if I were to stop and analyze, I could, I could think, oh yeah, I can see, like, there's a reason why they're not showing the legs. But it doesn't, I, yeah, I agree, it doesn't bother me. I think when they do use CG, it's very minimal. Like when the female gufflings fly, I think, you know, it's not, it's very quick. They don't want to focus on that because they're trying to ground it in this world and make it feel real in a way. And yeah, and I think that also helps with the set design. Every time this camera does like an establishing shot of the set that our characters are in, I they really capture how detailed, right to the blade of grass or moss or even the small creatures, they really establish like this is a lived in world. So I appreciate that, how much attention to detail they put in establishing Thra and what this world is. Yeah, I like the puppets. <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, the puppets seem seamless in the show. Because if you watch another Jim Henson property, <laughs> Fraggle Rock represent, uh, <laughs> it's very noticeable that they are puppets. I think they go out of their way to let you know that they're puppets. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, as we were talking about the set designs and the the world that they designed in the show, how do we feel about the lore behind everything? How much world building the show does? 
I don't think it's even a lot. I think it's good. Yeah, I, I don't think it's... I think it's digestible enough. Like, you don't need to learn everything. And if you forget, they repeat <laughs> their names enough that you like, get stuck yeah. in your head anyways. <laughs> the movie does that as well. You know the main character's name is Jan, because uh, they say his name yeah. like, every 15 minutes, <laughs> every 5 minutes. So, I, don't, I think it's a digestible enough lore. Like, they also just give you enough saying like, oh, these are all these clans. They don't. They have a strained relationship. They don't even know that one still even exists. These are the relations between the uh, Gelflings and the Skedsies. And here are Podlings. They also <laughs> yes. exist. I yeah. I don't think it's like heavy-handed as like some other more the notorious aspect of like sword and sorcery fantasy is like in books. I think it's if you watch a show, you don't have to really memorize a lot of things. One because again they say it enough times. And two, it's also not required. You just need to know their names. And that's it. Yeah, again, like, to emphasize how, you know, I'm not the only reason I haven't dived too much into the fantasy genre. It's because of how much they throw at you sometimes. I always find a little overwhelming at times. But yeah, with this, I think maybe it's because I watched the movie. But even then, the, the movie barely touches on the world this show introduces we really get to see like all the different clans i didn't realize there were different clans i didn't realize that there were different habitats for them and stuff like that so the first episode i think does a really good job at introducing everything but also not overwhelming you with it where it's just like yeah this is this this is that throughout each episode they they kind of refresh you on what the world is and it's very simple yes some races don't like each other one doesn't even seem to be considered at all. And the Skeksis are evil. The Gelflings are the quote-unquote humans of this world. Podlings are seen as lesser by some Gelflings. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel overwhelming. And I think that also helps because seeing our character's journey, I, I feel like I'm going to sound like a hypocrite, but because it's so separated from each other, kind of feel isolated. Like, okay, in this journey, in Rian's journey, I only need to know these people. In Brea's story, I only need to know these people. With Deets, it's just these people. Like, it, it's easy to digest because it's so separated. And now that we've established by episode 5, like, okay, these are everyone's goals now together and what roles they're going to play moving forward. Geography-wise, every location is pretty distinct from one another. Like, you can tell them apart. Like, you can tell mm -hmm. which place is Harar. You can tell which is the cave. You can tell whichever is a podling village because they're yeah. always having a party <laughs> yeah. for some reason. <laughs> and, like, the Dark Crystal Tower, clearly distinct from everything else. I think that also helps with, like, you understanding everything is that they really took in the time to, like, make sure that, like, these locations are their own. And here is, like, the reasons why. Like, this is, it, this is the way it looks. That's the only thing you need Yeah, to I think, like, that gets... That gets, um, what's the word? Overlooked sometimes, the, the set design. Um, you know, especially with fantasy or even other genres as well. Like, set design is so important to establish what the world is without having to explain it outright. Like, with Harar, every, you know, yes, it is a snowy area, but everything's very white. Everything's very clean. And that's kind of explaining, like, the Vapra clan of how, how highly they see themselves as. As for the Grodden, who are people who live in caves, they're dirty. They're seen as dirty or stuff like that. Like it, they don't. They don't have to say that that's the case. But just seeing the world, it makes sense that oh yeah, you can tell where these people are from because of how they look. 
how they speak to each other. So I think, yeah, set design really helps with that. I feel maybe quantity-wise, the how much they throw at you isn't a lot and it's digestible and it's easy to pick up on once you get it. But I feel like the first introduction in the beginning, like just the exposition in the first episode, the opening, where we're talking about Agra and all the, the whole world of Thra, I, I felt like kind of overwhelmed. Later on, you, you see it, it's, it gets pretty clear, especially if they divide the stories. But then also it's kind of like they reinforce it with both like lines, but also the dynamics and the actions. You see the Candace for you, the pride and the prejudice <laughs> of, of some of the um, races but then, and the setting of Ra. But then you also see how they, they treat each other. And even they, they explicitly say, oh, the Grodden are the, the lowest or the, what's Hub's podlings again? The podlings? The podlings. Yeah. yeah, the podlings. It's they reinforce it and then you're just like okay it's easier to follow. Yeah, I didn't really expect that Kira Knightley cameo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, no, she's not in this. She's not in this. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, speaking of Kira Knightley, I just want to talk about you know the cast a little bit. For anyone who doesn't know this, if you just Google the cast list for this for this series it's pretty big stacked <laughs> it's it's yeah it feels like someone just got the high end of the stick and just picked up everyone they wanted and they said they were down yeah it's like it's like they had a board meeting and it's like who do we want in this project and they all said yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think like this is fan casting to the max and so, like even the fan casts are not this stacked with a cast uh, how do we feel about this cast do we care that's a stacked cast do we are we looking to see some of the actors that we know are in this or anything like that to be honest i don't even notice that hmm. the voice the voices that you're doing like whoever's voicing them i don't even notice because uh, i don't know i think i only noticed once i actually like looked at the cast at the mm-hmm. end of the credits i was like oh that's uh, Hello Bohem Carter is doing the All Maja. Now I can kind of hear it, but even that, I just can't tell. Yeah, I don't. I also like. I don't really care uh, if they're gonna do the things I do. If they're a strong actor, I don't expect them to be a strong voice actor. That's true. That's people think it's translatable skills, but really, like, I think they're two different mm-hmm. art forms. There might be overlap, but I don't think you can be skilled in both unless you're actually training in both. But that's true. Yeah. Mark Mark Hamill's in it though, so he proved that. Oh, he I mean, both, Mark so. Hamill has done this since like long ago. But yeah, like uh, I think for me as someone who, I guess I do care. <laughs> like not not that I will watch a thing solely on the cast because I'm just gonna go off a tangent here. But you watch Women in the Window, strong cast, bad film. <laughs> so you know, a cast is not everything. I'll just say that. Sorry, Amy Adams. Um, anyways, but yeah, back to this cast. Um, you know, I I was sold on this show based on the premise and then watching the movie. But yeah, going into it, once I started hearing voices, I, I could recognize a few of them. And then, yeah, like Ken said, once I saw the credits, I was like, oh, that's who playing that. Because some, some of the actors that they got do a pretty good job at disguising their voices as these characters. It feels like I... I think with trying to think like someone like oh uh yeah so like 
Yeah, speaking to actors like Benedict Wong or even Simon Pegg, I know how they sound like, but hearing them in this show as their characters, it's so undistinguishable. Like, if I didn't know that that's who is voicing them, like, I like they do, they do a really good job at really disguising their real-life voice to the characters that they play here. Aquafina was kind of obvious for me. Who did she play again? Wait, what? Oh, never mind. I guess it's not as obvious. Who did she play again? Who did she play again? It sounds. It sounds familiar. Um, Aquafina's like, the collect the person who collects the the gifts. Oh, she does. Okay, yeah, now, now it sounds. I don't want to imitate yeah. it, but like, yeah, it's very graspy, raspy, raspy. Oh yeah, never mind. Yeah, I can hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Keegan Michael Key. I think he just does a lower register of his own voice, but I think he does a good job at like blending it. Again, if I didn't know it's Keegan Michael Key, but yeah, like I think T- Taryn was the only one that kind of like threw it off for me because i don't re- i recognize the cast but i can't recognize mm. the voice and at least i didn't i don't pay attention to it or make the connection or at least for like mark hamill's i try to hear it because i'm just like i know he plays one of the skexies but i really cannot tell or like I, I don't know when he's actually doing something but like Taryn, i don't even watch a lot of his movies i haven't watched rocket man i've only watched maybe one or two of the kingsman movies sadly sorry but for some reason i, I can clearly hear his voice that it's, it's him yeah i think because i mean again we don't know how but the direction was given for him. But yeah, his voice is very clear. He can voice act. He can voice act. But I feel like if it comes to like putting on a character, it didn't seem like it was different. But it did sound like I'm like, okay, this is very emotive. This is very, it's a good voice. It's just, it, it felt too real to be mystical kind of. Or he's yeah. playing someone else. Um, to, to speak to Mark Hamill, I think for me, what made me know that it was him is just because like I've heard him as the joker over the years where he has that like uh, lower register and a little raspiness to his voice so like hearing him as like the scientist is kind of very joker-esque in a way but again like simon Pegg as the the chamberlain who does a lot of them hmm, like again i wouldn't know that simon Pegg. um so uh i appreciate the the cast that they got I, does it need to be the stack no Maybe part of the reason why the show got cancelled is because they just couldn't afford to bring back everyone. So just like, well, we'll just toss out the whole thing. So we've seen the first five episodes and we've established where the characters' goals are now. How that Agra has kind of given them their task. And we have an idea of where their storylines are going to go. Will there be some distrust between clans as we saw with Celadon? What do we think is going to happen next? I'm going to answer... As if I don't know what happens in literally the beginning <laughs> yes. of the movie. <laughs> I am in the camp of all my homies hate Celadon. Mm. Uh, <laughs> fuck her. <laughs> she was really working for the company. She was like, they're, they're going to notice my hard work. I'm really going to deserve this. Yeah, she's going to get the promotion <laughs> she deserves. Because yeah. this company appreciates me. <laughs> yeah. Unlike my pr- the previous boss, my mother, <laughs> she doesn't understand. So yeah, okay. Even though that's gonna happen, uh, Celadon, uh, I don't know. Episode eight, they're gonna have a scene together with Bria. They're gonna have a heart to heart. They're gonna cha- change sides. There might be they're gonna be a setup for like an actual war, or they're gonna show the war at like episode ten, and then the 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 people in the Gelflings in the cave will come in flying. Because for some reason, this is the only clan that actually flies. <laughs> so you're saying that Rian is facing against one of the Skeksis. And then out of nowhere, someone says on your left, 
and then all of a sudden <laughs> this wave of Grodin gulflings come out of nowhere and Freyan says gulflings assemble I have none I don't know I feel I feel like it seems kind of predictable not in like a brooder judgy way or just like the undermining the series but more so just like I don't know where the t- turn the takes it can turn the turns it'll take i don't know which one uh where it can i guess kind of challenge my expectation of course like there's those beats like oh, okay we're gonna have the full-on war we're gonna have most likely a, a happy ending where there's like a restoration or whatever okay that's me also speaking that i didn't watch the movie so if, if it's probably established don't laugh please yeah i i just don't know what to expect other than just the it kind of seems like um by the books like oh we're at war instead of theories maybe i'll go for like what i want yeah <laughs> i want a good war room scene okay, okay. Gotta, mm-hmm. it's always a good like in any movie that has a war in it where everybody the major factions are like talking to each other which i think is the next episode right because that's uh i read the description <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and it said like Celadon will bring like the other oh I <laughs> okay yeah Mandras of the other clans together so I was like oh and I'm like oh yeah so Levi are going there next oh week. yes yes I am yes I am <laughs> what are your thoughts as what are your thoughts as the all mandems now that <laughs> well obviously since I'm the all mandem I'm cheesed. My daughter kind of... Or Oh, wait. Actually, no. I'm not the all. Oh, <laughs> yeah, did, that's not yeah, me. Did the vapor get the call I'm from Celadon? This is not my hood. Yes. And we're just going with it. Because <laughs> we're just like... Yeah, it's kind of been boring. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So war. Okay. But... Yeah, but I want a good war room scene. Which I... Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> just a podling bleeding out. Okay. <laughs> Opening cutscene. <laughs> Oh, okay, fine. So, since you just brought that up, do we think Hub is gonna die? Uh, it's either he survives or it's a really bad death. Like it's a really <laughs> painful no. death. Yeah, emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emotionally, emotionally. I see. Emotionally, like it's yeah. I yeah. I think. I hope maybe for in terms of Hub, I think the scene where, you know, okay, I'm gonna reference another Marvel movie. You know, in Avengers Infinity War, when T'Challa looks at Captain America and he's like, get this man a shield. I want someone to look at Pup and say, get this man a sword. And that sword is not like a real sword. It's just his sharpened spoon. <laughs> it's, just, it's, like, <laughs> it's a fork. It's a spoon. Yeah. It's a sport. <laughs> yes. It's a sport. It's a sport. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. I want, yes, I want Pup in action. Showing off his paladin skills. Yes, I want that. And then I want him to just get, like, brutally... <laughs> just, like, randomly. <laughs> like, oh, saving Deet. Yeah, like, saving Deet. It comes in. Like, he... Because uh, that moment in, like, episode 4, he's like, he's a nobody. I think that's... <laughs> he, he feels like he can't save Deet. He's scared for Deet. In that moment, he saves her. Then dies. <laughs> Die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says something stupid like, Deet, do you care? Or, like, he confesses his love or something. <laughs> There's probably something he's feeling. Do you get that, or is it me? I, 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 I don't. Oh my bad. But <laughs> but speaking this but speaking to his death, I want his dying words will be in Podling, and she'll just never know. We'll never know what he actually said to her. So like yeah, I guess leading to the Levy's theory, like yeah, maybe maybe he does confess his love for her, but we just never know what he says. Do you think there's going to be any resurrections? I don't think so, but. Do you think there will be? I 
I I don't think so. Uh, if anyone would be resurrected, it'd be Mira. But I feel like that just oh no, that's too fanservice. I don't know how. If if there's a resurrection, I want it to be like a really like fucked up resurrection. It's not like a happy one. It's like a Frankenstein kind of thing. Like ah, oh. <laughs> they bring back Almadra. Yeah, they they bring back Mira, but she's like a she's like a zombified version of it. Yeah, no life in her eyes. Only intent is to kill. No thoughts. Head mm. empty. Only kill. <laughs> Or she she's uh, intelligent she's intelligible and all she has after her arc is just to complain to Rian, what the fuck did you do? Why didn't you save me? And then like that as well. In like addition, she like she like just this gesture motion and she just says one word and she says giants. And then there's like giants that come in and it's human beings <laughs> just come in, <laughs> just come in. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna pull off a Lego movie. <laughs> Damn! Out of nowhere, human beings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh. yes, yes. <laughs> um. Well, I was gonna say I don't that. Top that. Um, <laughs> I mean, what I expect to see maybe is a lot more. I think I'm gonna we're gonna see a lot of inner conflicts with the Skeksis even more, especially because we see the scientists kind of hesitate when the emperor says, "Oh, how many gufflings do we need to ensure our immortality?" And he just gives a number, and he doesn't know. I feel like that may have to get revealed, and that'll lead to a little more conflicts between everyone. I think even the Chamberlain, the Chamberlain has his own plant that's separate from the rest of the Skeksis. We'll get to see a little bit more of that. Only Deet and Brian meet met in the beginning, right? Or in the first five episodes. We're expecting that them to meet, but I want it to be satisfying and not just the way where it, like they click perfectly just because they are all in the dream space or all the fact that they're just good intention. Like I kinda wanna see their personality seep through and then also like faults of that and kinda see their their dynamic as like a group. Instead of just like, oh, we unite together. Yeah, I think that'll come into, like, I, I expect that to come into play more with uh, Brea and Deet a little bit more, because Brea's the one who, you know, who is born in this royal bloodline. Privileged. So, you know, it, yeah, and she does have that line like, oh yeah, all races are equal, but, you know, that was something that she had to learn the hard way. So I hope we get a little interaction between Deet and that way did she learn it the hard way though no <laughs> she just she solved a puzzle that was not even a puzzle she, she she learned about racism just by playing a game she's like i got it racism exists <laughs> it's just like so what you're saying True. is that all i <laughs> it's just like oh my god Ooh. i yeah but i think they'll develop that more because <clears throat> really again people think her clan's dead like they don't exist <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So I think that that dynamic that Deed will have with literally every other character will be very interesting if they play it out these next five episodes. As we're starting to wrap up, we didn't even get to mention our enemies or our antagonists. Yes, the the, the Skeksis. How do we feel about the Skeksis? I don't know. It's, it's I think that's some kind of something I looked forward to the scenes like like you guys mentioned before the dynamic kind of seeing how they eat at each other and it's funny because they all have this goal to prolong the race or the existence and the survival but then at the same time too you see that the selfishness for like the group is also shown in the characters themselves with their own like desires and their, their wants and then you have at least uh, the chamberlain the guy who replaced them and then the emperor and their dynamic 
once you get them, you get a lot of personality. Not even just in it, it's it's like very perfectly picked the voices, the puppets, the scenes that they pick out with them, and they feel animated like a kid show kind of. But at the same time, too, you kind of feel like the evilness, or I guess the it's grounded. Yeah, you can definitely see that they're a threat. You can see how controlling they are, especially in that the first episode where they're just collecting gifts from the Gelflings, and you just see the dynamic that they have against the Gelflings. Um, it's very clear where they stand and how what the Gelflings think of them. And speaking to like that dynamic that the Skeksis have, it's not original to this show, but I think I, I do like this. The villain's downfall will be their egos. And, you know, with the Skeksis, we see where some intentions lie. It's like with the scientists, with the Chamberlain, with the Emperor. They all, every Skeksis has the same overall goal, but the means to their goals are different. The scientist wants to do this the right way. Their Chamberlain is very, I guess, selfish, uh, selfish in his means to do it. He, he can... He, can, he has proved that he can try to do this alone and be successful without the rest of the Skeksis. You know, I'm interested, like, during this war, you know, the Gelflings will show their unity while our villains will show the the separation between every each and every one of them. They're all very one note, but that one note sings. I was recently told that they have names. <laughs> I don't hear it yeah. as much, but I, their personalities reflect like the stereotypes of their title. They just play off each other so well. It's very much like a really weird dark comedy skit every time they're on. <laughs> uh, every time mm-hmm. they're together, like with Levy, I look forward every time we cut back to them. Just having this very dysfunctional villain group. Um, they're so dysfunctional, it's almost funny. But then behind that comedy is this like terrifying thing like they have all the power it's how they're framed is so disgusting and like creepy and terrifying like how they eat how how they torture each other and like how they laugh at that like how they laugh at torture and like that's Mm -hmm. not even to like other species that's to themselves (laughs) yeah so there's something like horrifying about that that these are the people who have complete control of everything i would say like it's a caricature but then relative to this world i don't think they are characters they're very much like this is what happens in this world if you if they have too much unregulated power i'd have to say who's the one that's i don't know the name or what's the role is it the, what's what's their what do they do or, or like what's their he talks dumb i don't know if it's the chamberlain he's the one who talks kind of dumb he's the one kind of supporting the scientists in the beginning like where he was the one. Oh, I think that's that, that is the Chamberlain because he's very like, he's very he's like um, manipulative and he's very like easy to control the situation. Yeah. Well, kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. He he knows how he's to talk himself, himself out yeah, of yeah. everything. He knows how to be be a character, like get his way out. And I like that kind of. He's just like, okay, let me see how I can. And like it's weird because like power wise, he's like the least threatening. But then because he has a lot of like his ideas are very much regarded and respected. Yeah, I think I think when it's that scene with the the Chamberlain and Rian in the carriage where the the Chamberlain says to Rian like you can go, you're going to say that we killed to survive, but everyone, every creature on this planet kills to survive. So what what's the difference between you and me really? 
And I, I really like that. What 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 can you say to that? What can you say to argue that? The Skeksis are a dying race at this point, and they're just trying to find a way to survive. And, you know, what's the difference between capturing an animal for food? So I, I like that aspect that he brought up. But no one knows they're dying, which is also <laughs> terrifying. That's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they're yeah, I feel like I like the Skeksis for their range because you get like some comedic relief moments with them, where like he they're picking out um, candidates as food or to who to drain with Bristol, <laughs> yeah. and they're just like, yeah, oh, you got freckles, yeah, no, it was something something simple like that. <laughs> yeah. But then it'll go to scenes like with the Chamberlain, where he's just like getting philosophical, but also kind of like dark human nature, and you're just like, whoa, it has that range of okay, we can the show can get dark, but it can be pulled off by the same people who are funny and their chaos and hilarity always ensues because you're just like oh they're their caricatures but at the same time too you're just like oh no that's kind of just product of the time or the setting that's why they're so scary yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is- i also chamberlain least threatening in terms of power but yeah. his word travels fast yeah Rianne just had to go to like a, you know 10 kilometers out of the castle and everyone's like we're looking for this person named Rianne. he killed somebody <laughs> yeah I'm like damn Rianne's faster than the internet confirmed. <laughs> oh no, I mean, uh, Chamberlain's faster than the internet. Imagine if Chamberlain had social media. Mm. Oh. <laughs> He'd be like Nicki wow. Minaj. He'd have like stands. Yeah. There would be like stand accounts for Chamberlain. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then just, just have like podling accounts just being the same. <laughs> yeah. So what, we're say- so what we're saying is if, if the Skeksis were in our world, they would be a K-pop. In terms Whoa, of popularity. Okay, okay, yeah, in terms of popularity, yes. Not in, not in, not anything else. Just in terms of popularity, yes. Okay, catch me on my other podcast, how K-pop equals capitalism. That's <laughs> our first episode of Poppelbarn or Sarcast. Hungry. Who is K-pop yes. star? Alright, I think the crystal's starting to flicker a little bit, so I think it's time we step out of this dream space and we go back to Thra. And, you know, we all have our duties, the all mandem especially. So, yeah. Next episode, we'll be talking about the next five episodes. These were our thoughts on the first five episodes of The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. We'll get into the next five for the next episode, but before that, Let's unplug. All right, so as we have exited the dream space and landed in Thra, we're just going to talk about what we've been up to in the past two weeks me you know fast nine is coming out (laughs) in about a month from now at the time of this recording so i thought what's the best way to get hype for that movie than to watch a movie that is far superior than that (laughs) franchise redline what is redline you ask well it is a japanese animated sci-fi film it takes place in a distant future where different alien creatures and some humans partake in this race that's held 
somewhere in the universe, which is called The Red Line. Going into this movie, I had no idea what to expect in terms of story. I was told that this is what Fast and Furious could be. Wishes it could be. <laughs> it wishes it could be this. And you know what? I see. Like, if the Fast and Furious franchise kept up with races, this is where it could have gone. Real, like, but you know, didn't. they, they we all joke that the Fast Furious franchise will go to space, which they will in Fast 9. The selling point for me to watch this movie was the animation. To speak to that, this movie, I believe, was in production for about seven years. Yeah, went through development hell. Yeah, for seven years, they wanted to release it long ago. But I think it's just the animation, like the, the work that they put into this movie by using handmade drawings. And it really shows in this movie like how well those handmade drawings were. From the first shot of this movie, I was already, I guess, enamored by what I saw. It felt like, I don't even want to say like comic art come to life. It felt like real art come to life. Just the way these characters move. And again, like knowing it's all hand-drawn, I, I, I couldn't believe like how fluid everything is. And again, this is a racing movie. So there's a lot of movement happening with the cars, with the character designs, and just seeing how this movie expresses that was again I I I'm short of words, but it's just amazing. I I can't like describe it well enough. But this movie starts off with an epic race, and it really sets the tone for what this movie's gonna be with its animation and everything like that. This, I was able to find this on Prime Video. There was only one version available, which was the English one. I, I would say the voice casting is pretty good. I think our main character, who is JP, he's our human character in this distant future world with all these alien creatures. Pretty cool character. You know, he's not like the typical, I just want to race because it's cool. I think, you know, he has some good motivations with why he wants to prove himself and you know even though he get tied up with like the mob and stuff like that you know he he just wants to show like yeah i am i am i am a good racer on my own right and i just want to prove it again i i don't know what more else to say with this movie except just watch it the animation alone is worth watching it the story is pretty interesting because it delves into a little bit of government themes a little bit and the characters are pretty well designed the music the sound design pretty good for a racing movie like it re like there are times where i had to lower the volume just because the sound of the, the car and the the vehicle engines the music blaring when the characters would do certain tricks in the race like this is top-notch stuff and i'm surprised that you know it took me this long to watch it because this movie came out i believe 2009 2010 and the animation again holds up Storyline is pretty interesting, pretty exciting stuff. Again, if you haven't watched it, it is on Prime Video. Yeah, check it out. It's one of the last few anime movies to actually be hand-drawn. Because I think after that, they started integrating CG elements to it. Especially because like in that time, Summer Wars was like the biggest movie to come out of that year, 2009. And Summer Wars utilized CG a lot. So, shame that hand-drawn animation is not in Japanese anime movies anymore but that's okay you wouldn't get your name so yeah <laughs> red lot yeah so <laughs> if you like your name you have to watch red line because you have red line to thank for why you got your name yeah red line walked for your name too 
run. Yes. Uh, yeah. Every shot of Red Line has so much energy to it. Juxtaposed by the quiet moments, I think the movie just elevates itself. Because then now you're like in this relaxed moment before the heart pumping, camera breaking action comes in. Breaks every known laws of physics known to man <laughs> in these yes. races. But who cares? It's exciting. It's cool. It's rad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I think I sold this on Ryan by literally saying that. But yeah, Fast and the Furious wishes it could be a red line. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. as much as you think what Fast and Furious is ridiculous in their uh, races or like their scenario, their card stuff, their car seats, red line takes that even higher. Even oh, like yeah. the simple act of like <laughs> turning on the NOS. <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah and like each yes. each driver's nos action is like so different and like like just reflects their characters their personalities when they do it i got a question for both of y'all so mm-hmm. for for this movie because i haven't heard of it or i know at least that it's the same i think it's madhouse it's the same studio that's done a lot of really great stuff or stuff i've liked i think even like another show that i've been trying to watch is space dandy anyways aside what when i see these um stills and stuff i'm like oh this looks sick but my question is to you guys how would you describe this more of the two i guess if you kind of like understand where i'm coming from is it a racing movie in anime form or is it an anime form their take on racing which one does it feel more like if you know if you get what i mean i would say i mean this is my take i think it's more of a racing movie done in an anime form i think that's the best way to say it kent would you what would you say yeah i would say it's, i don't i i could, i'm not too clear on like the distinction between the two like what is the difference like one it's more it's more so it has the tropes of an anime it just happens to be like movie length oh yeah or it's just it's just animated like is this just is this just an animated like is it in the medium because it's in that or is it like actually of the genre just in yeah i think they do both like it's very there's a lot there's not a lot of anime tropes but i don't think red line mm-hmm. would be red line if it wasn't animated mm-hmm. yeah you just can't make those shots mm-hmm. live action or cg i don't know like without it looking kind of janky or you don't put in like the money into it like if red line wasn't an anime i don't think it would it would exist like it's uh, like it utilizes everything that the animated form is as a racing movie mm-hmm. nicely put yeah so my my final thoughts on red line i wrote a i get i i I don't know the proper term it's it's more than a couplet (laughs) to prepare for fast nine watch red line it'll take you back to the days of street races and the animation will be like crack to your faces the end i can so i can can after I watched Red Line, I uh, had crack in my eyes. I had to go to rehab. It's <laughs> <laughs> your doctor. Speaking of crack, cowboys. <laughs> I know. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to connect it to cowboy. It doesn't, it doesn't have to connect. <laughs> you can just transition to whoever. <laughs> okay, crack. sure. Um, so, speaking of anime and the like of that, Levy. Cowboy Bebop. It's Cowboy Bebop, as Apple said. <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> for all my Filipinos out there, my Swagapinos. Uh, okay, so so far I've only watched the first 10 episodes of Cowboy Bebop, and I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing. 
I feel like it's still too early to say. I also thought it was shorter. I thought it was going to be like current season length, like 12 to 14 episodes. But then I found out it was 20, which I'm delighted. But at the same time, too, I'm just like, okay, I don't feel like I have a good gist of this show. But yeah, um, in comparison to what I've watched and at least what made me want to watch it, other than just acclaim, it being done by, I believe it's the same director of both my one of my favorite animes, Samurai Champloo. Another show that I kind of want to watch, which I'll watch uh, after, um, Carol and Tuesday. Can't, what else am I missing, Ken? Or is it just those Kids things? on the Slope. Kids on the Slope. <laughs> what you... Kids on the Slope. That's, the, that's what it's called? <laughs> I was talking about shows. Uh, but at least of those three. Um, it's also a show. <laughs> it's an anime. No, I know, I know. Show. I'm saying I just haven't heard of it. Yeah. At least of the three that I've liked or I've kind of just held in high regard. But it makes me want to rewatch and kind of see what's he's known for or i guess what's his like isms it's like uh shinichiro watanabe i think okay if it's not cut this out completely (laughs) (laughs) no you're you're right you're right okay but yeah um see what's kind of like his isms and what's kind of his his, like go-to shots and like the way he sets up the show because as far as i know it's very similar where it's just like we have this uh group of wild characters we just go straight into big journeys and big stories but then you kind of flesh them out after probably the series ending on just the bigger overarching story that was kind of like hinted from the past i like shampoo because it's and it stood out more kind of with the bias of um the aesthetic and also it's cool it's swords but also it's it has hip-hop and lo-fi music to accompany it but other than that it feels like i relate more to bebop or entertainment wise i feel like that's more watchable just because of the characters and the setting of it being the future but being kind of more relatable and being about the characters compared to Champloo where it felt like it's more so the setting we're showing cool scenes and cool action scenes which I feel Bebop's kind of missing like it's it's cool with like chase scenes and the occasional like karate moves but not too much for me maybe it's just too by the books for me it's it's nice to kind of contrast that and then see what's being done what he kept and then also see what, how does how even happen in Carol and Tuesday, because it's just like that genre of show is very different to the past two, where it was kind of like adventure epics. And now we're just, we're going to do music. And then we also have like big stars or people I like, like um, Denzel Curry in it. So I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Fuck yeah, I'll do this. I'll watch this. <laughs> I mean, I think that's his, one of his isms is music. Mm-hmm. I think he's always been a fan of music. That incorporating that into like anime, cowboy bebop being jazz, samurai shampoo, lo-fi hip-hop, kids on a slope, mm-hmm. kind of hard. I think like classical music, and Carolyn Chusey is all about the music. So I think it, I think that's the anime where he really like puts in the effort to showcase his passion for music because the anime revolves around it. So what's the what's the plot of cowboy bebop? So it takes place in the future. It's kind of a futuristic western. Western only in the aspect that our cast are bounty hunters. You see their past kind of being fleshed out after, where you're just like, oh, Spike's this mysterious, cool kung fu dude. But they're they're distinct people, and it's just to see where um, they're driven, because most of their goals at the end of the episode is just is to hit their mark or whatever like that, just to get the reward. But then you just see how, what kind of storylines they get involved in, and the people they meet, and then also seeing like the relationships develop. It's it's very. He gets the group dynamic very well. What are what are some of the themes that this show kind of covers? There's this one episode that's kind of very not hella fucking uh, Akira vibes, or like there's this. Okay, I'm spoiling it, but it's kind of like this creepy, dangerous child. That's all I'll say. 
as the villain, and it's like, oh, he didn't know where to take, but then it gets kind of um, depressing and real. So it's, it's it's kind of like what Dark Crystal kind of did, where it's just like it's it's futuristic and it's kind of cool, and you're kind of like, oh, I like the setting, and I just like this world we're in. At the same time, too, you're just saying, oh, this is this happens in real life. There's this one episode even about like a virus, like a man-made spreading virus. <laughs> And this uh, group of people, or this bounty, this is one woman, who reminds you a lot of, or at least me, specifically, of like Futurama, like the mom character. Yeah. <laughs> She's a, her literally, her name is like mom or something like that in the anime. Looking forward to the movie. I, I don't know. Okay, see, I, I'll say, I, I will speak up on it, actually. I like it. It's very good. Like the animation is solid. You can tell it's old, just in the coloring. And I don't know if it's just from air quotes scans or whatever the the hd i guess kind of like transfer to like digital if i don't think it's artifacting anyways you see the the beauty and like you see the coolness of the shots especially being hand-drawn because this comes from 1998 but it ages very well like you can tell it's old and coloring and style and everything but then you see the shots and they're modern and they're slick and it doesn't like pander or dwell too much in certain scenes or use cheap shots but it's kind of just like, this is really good as it is naturally. It, it, you don't really need to see this adapted to live action. It's nice to see kind of just to entertain the imagination. But other than just like how they, they kind of want to do Akira as well. It's just like, we don't need it because the original exists. But we're just like, okay, we'll entertain it because this kind of sounds sick if done right. Like Alita, that's a good movie. What kind of people would you recommend this series to? I I like, would it gravitate towards I'd more? Say this is a pretty good standard, or I guess like newcomer friendly anime. I feel like if you kind of want to watch, just like get caught up on shonen, like the young man action, the classics. This is considered, I guess, one of them, like essential. But even still, I think it's a good method of showing like oh anime at its best, and it's it's cinematic and it's cool. And the thing is, I was watching the dub, I mean the sub, which was pretty good. But I even heard that the sub of this is pretty like solid as it is and that's cu- that's coming from someone who doesn't like subs like a, a lot of people do but do you mean i would dubs have to or you yeah you dubs. don't like oh my dubs God. you mean jesus christ <laughs> yes i'm so sorry <laughs> please don't crucify me yes the dubs i don't hate i i don't really like some dubs but there's some you kind of hear decent or you've, you've heard samples or you're just like okay this sounds like you're doing this character justice oh so i'd recommend it to them people who just kind of want to see the I guess um, hand-drawn episodic anime epics, or just who someone who kind of wants to like start at the beginning of action or kind of catch up, which is kind of where I stand. You're wanting to watch it. It's worth the hype. It deserves the hype it gets. If someone recommends it, yes. I if, if anybody ever recommends it, I just say yes and just go ahead and watch it. So would you say like it's you? What what would be the like? Would the selling point for for people be the action, the characters? the story like what do you what do you think is like the selling point for the show i guess it's the anime and it's the animation itself and then also the the setting the characters are very they have good chemistry but then the there's i don't feel too much depth from their their stories or their backs their background at least yet within like the halfway mark of the show but yeah this this show is very just good enough to revel in just like how it was made even just like the the commercial break cards or they look great or they're just kind of just like epic you're just like oh this sounds this is cool like it's just cutting to commercial but it's kind of like oh i like how they did this design or it's just they just did this thing kind of the same thing as how purposeful they did with like shampoo but yeah 
yeah, I'd, I'd say mainly just for animation and for like the story. Like it's a good, it's good storytelling in anime. So speaking of cowboys, you know, there's the Johnny Walker Black Label Scotch whiskey that, you know, cowboys like their whiskey. But we're not gonna talk about any more black labels. Let's talk about a white label, Kent Unbeatable White Label. So. Unbeatable White Label is an indie game. It's an uh, indie rhythm game where you play as a character named Beat, where you live in a world where music is illegal, but you're going to do it anyways. That's the story behind it. I played the first episode. It's on Steam. It's for free. I didn't really get that that was the plot because uh, I don't think... It's not finished though. It's not finished yet. It's still... They're doing it episodically. I can't really speak too much about the story, so I'm not comment on that. But the game itself, I really like the game. I'm not too much of a fan of rhythm games. Not Maybe not a fan, I just don't play them as much. I think the only rhythm game I played was like Guitar Hero World Tour. <laughs> so, yeah. Or Heroes of Rock. I just really like the animation of everything. They're inspired by anime. It looked like they're inspired by like Old Gynax or Trigger. Or I think they mentioned Fooly Cooly was one of their yes. inspirations. So, yeah, you can definitely see it. In there and they're not shy about like being like oh animes are influenced no it's unapologetically anime inspired it's a very simple rhythm game i there's only like you only have to press two buttons but i still had a hard time because <laughs> there's like it's like you there's four ways you can hit there's like up and down but there's also left to right so so sometimes in the middle of the song you have to like keep track of like both sides like both of the beats coming at you like the monsters coming at you from both sides and yeah, it's a fun game. Love the art style. Love the music. It's very 2000s anime opening music or like Ooh. pop punk scene music. J -rock. It's very much like that yeah, J-Rock and all that. Very much like it. You can listen to all the music on YouTube or you can buy it on Bandcamp to support them. It's a good game. Can't wait for like all the other things that they're going to put out for this game. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how does the rhythm aspect is it is it like for combat is like how does it come into play for this game it's it is combat where you're like you're controlling beat so i in this world there are monsters that are gonna attack you and the monsters are the one that's like you have to like tap the button to you know like in guitar heroes like those circles well and those yeah, circles yeah. are now monsters and each monster has like variations to it so they either go up or down there's ones that you don't hit you have to dodge there's ones you have to hit twice there's ones you have to hold to stop them there's one where they kind of dis you kind of see them and then they disappear. So yeah, there's different variations to that. So I it's a simple game. There's only two buttons, but it gets a little there. The complexity comes in like the later songs where they try to use all of that monster variation. Yeah. Does it get boring if it's just the same animation replaying, or is there like kind of like a story being told with um yeah with the animation? Because it's it's it seems like to rely on it. So like, every, before every song that you play, there's like a. There's like a vignette of like Beat's story of like how she became to be, why she doesn't feel the music as much as she did when she was a kid. There's one that's like before the song, there's one that's after the song, and the song usually relates to her problems. So like the one of the first songs you play is like Empty Diary. The snippet before that is like why she can't really write the songs on her book. So all she can see are blank pages, which is like in her, which is in the lyrics of the song. And then after what after that snippet is like one of our friends just telling her just to write, just to keep going and all that. So that's how the story is being told. 
there's some like open world aspects like kind of like persona 5 where you kind of get to meet people like you get to move around in a space and like interact with things i'm not i don't think the development of the game is there yet they've announced that that's what they're gonna do that's what they're intending but it's not there yet so i can't really speak too much on the story in terms of animations being boring uh the songs are hype like i they use the same animations <laughs> for depending on like which monster variation you do it's hype that's all i can say <laughs> i i've been if the songs were on Spotify, it's a good chance it might be on my top five <laughs> albums listened to <laughs> if it was on Spotify. So yeah. Did you finish this game already? There's only a few songs. I finished in like in two hours. Even, no, okay. I, not even. I don't know. It felt very short, but it was a very enjoyable short time. You feel like you just get could get repetitive though? Or is just the variety in the songs is just kind of like the strong suit of that? Or what's going to save it? Yeah, I think like the variety in songs are definitely worth playing like keep on playing it i mean i really re-listen to the songs i don't even play it that much uh, in terms of playing yeah i'm not too huge on like rhythm games but i just want to experience this game more like i, I want to get better that's i think that's what the what's really good about this game is just you want to be better at achieving like i'm only playing on normal there's like a hard mode and like a unbeatable mode and i tried the hard and unbeatable well those those names are not just for decoration they are <laughs> they are actually hard or sometimes unbeatable okay well i mean just looking like i i know you brought this up before but yeah just looking at it like it the animation really looks like such a strong suit for this game i wasn't expecting it to be a rhythm game but i was never good at guitar hero so i will if and when i do play this i will be playing it on the easiest difficulty because I, I am interested in hearing the music and I hope the gameplay doesn't hinder me from wanting to continue. There on. is a story mode. Where, and I, I don't know, but I don't know if it's called story mode, but it's like accessibility mode where if you just want to listen to the songs but still want to play, uh, if oh. you miss, it won't make like weird sound or like trying to distract or like shake the camera a bit to let you know that you did something bad. It'll just keep playing the song. Okay, so then, all right, well, I will then I will definitely be playing the game. <laughs> um, just for that alone and then yeah if i if i do like when i do finish it then i will i will i will try out the story mode with the actual uh gameplay aspects of it then so it looks like the podlings are gonna host a party soon so i think it's time we uh get out of this village and we're gonna end this episode here the power outage episode three for the next episode just a reminder again, we will be talking about The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, the last five episodes of the series. Stay tuned for that in the next couple weeks. This has been the Power Outage Podcast, and we will see you next time. As you can tell, people listening of Power Outage, two out of three of us are anime fans. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I've been faking it. Yeah. Or, and then also two out of three out of us are manga fans. So again, buddy. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't. It's just it's just it's, too, it's going on for too long. Okay. But uh, two days ago, we lost someone really important to the community. If you were to list like the top five manga artists of all time, Kentaro Miura 
would undoubtedly like be on that list. Uh, no one would argue with you. He passed at May 6th, but they didn't really announce it until May 22nd. So for two weeks, no one really knew about it. He was the creator of Berserk. Already from there, you can see how much of an impact this artist has on like the manga community. And even just media in general, because Berserk has been influenced, has influenced so many properties. One of the biggest games of all time, Dark Souls, was heavily inspired by Berserk and all of it. Other popular manga like Blue Exorcist was also inspired by Berserk. I got into the Berserk fandom, not, not even fandom, just like I read Berserk only like a few years ago, a couple years ago. Uh, you understand the hype, you understand why this artist put, like you can feel like every stroke, pen stroke, has so much like effort put into it because there's so much detail in his drawings. And his storytelling is not even hampered by like his meticulous drawings. If anything, it's enhanced by it because he's been inspired by so many things. Not only like medieval settings, but also romance stories and like why these characters feel so real and like the these emotions that they're conveying are so real. That's all I can say. Juxtaposed by this dark, gritty setting. Game of Thrones wishes it could be this gritty, but... Uh, juxtaposed by all these demons and monstrous beings that are around there's still this human element to all berserk's characters and that's just a extension of what this person was and what he believes in kentaro miura i will i was only a fan of you only for a few years but now but like after i read the news I, there's a small little piece of me and i was like wow um this this piece of work just might not never get finished and even if it's not never finished, it's definitely in the upper echelon of works you need to read before you die. So yeah. Yeah, I will I will say, um, this news did come across my feed and I yeah, I can see, you know, he does have a big influence in I guess the pop culture community as a whole with like you said, with, with Berserk, with Dark Souls, um I think uh Devil May Cry as well. Yeah, so I uh, yeah the fact that even yeah even someone like me came across it you know it, it shows like the influence that um he had on the pop culture community and yeah uh, like you 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 got to experience it you know while he was still alive and me i have not at all and you know it's a shame because from what i have seen of berserk it does look really well done in terms of the art style uh unfortunate as it is um that i have to that I would get into it after his time, but you know, I uh, his legacy will live on. That's all I can say. Yeah, for me, it's like you get to experience this man's work over like the longest amount of time. But you see this um, in a good way. But you see like the development in his art because you see from like the the first few chapters, there's always detail has always been consistent with him. But like you even see him see him refine his art and his lines and. Express expressing that stuff it's just like oh you could see his influence even something like yeah i remember it's funny they're just kind of like funny that when i was reading chainsaw at least seeing and reading some parts of uh berserk which i'm probably i'm definitely gonna read now you see even like like the inspo for a lot of like even design comes from it isn't his sword their sword the buster sword was based off of it's it's a lot of stuff that's just like oh um yeah, sorry. In Chainsaw Man, there's a, a reference to one character's design that looks like it, and I just I never put it together. But seeing that it's reached basically everywhere, no matter what, in pop culture somehow. It's a piece of work again. I want to reiterate, 
it's a piece of work that everyone should read before they die. It's it's amazing. Especially the Golden Saga. That is that is possibly like the the richest storyline that Berserk will ever have. Not to say like the storylines afterwards were rich, but that one, like if you wanna say which is what exemplifies Berserk, that that's the arc that you read. So yeah, our uh, rest in peace, Kentaro Mira. He may be gone, but his legacy will continue. Yeah.